and welcome everyone to another edition of the Pensburg Podcast. I am your host, Garrett Bahanna, and joined alongside me is Frank Miola. Uh, Frank, I don't think this episode is going to be a typical uh, episode of the Pensburg Podcast. A lot has happened with the Pittsburgh Penguins since our last meeting. Uh, but Frank, before we dive into all of the craziness around the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, how have you been since our last podcast episode? Everything's been good on my end. Just uh, looking to see where these Penguins go and uh, excited to talk about another uh, week of Penguins hockey. And uh, all right, Frank, let's get down into it. Uh, because of the nature of this episode and the the, uh, the the developing story of the resignation of Jim Rutherford, which we will most definitely dive into and we will devote the majority of the show to that. Uh, we will keep this recap segment rather short. Uh, by the time you're listening to this episode of the podcast, you would have likely obviously already seen the games that the Penguins have played. But to keep with uh, tradition and to keep with uh, everything going on schedule, we'll do a little bit of a recap segment. Uh, the Penguins have played a couple of games since our last podcast episode was released. Uh, they played two games against the Rangers uh, the first game in a two-game series against the New York Rangers where they won 4-3 to three in a shootout. The second game against the New York Rangers was, I believe, their first regulation win of the season, uh, a 3-2 to two regulation win. They played the Bruins. In a, they began a two-game series with the Boston Bruins and lost the first game of that seri series uh, by a score of 3-2 to two in overtime. And the uh, most recent game the Penguins have played was their second game of that little mini-series between them and the Boston Bruins, in which the Bruins pretty much outmatched them, and the Bruins won that game by a score of 4-1. to one. Uh, So, Frank, like I said, we'll keep this this uh, this little recap segment here nice and short. We'll go back. Uh, the game against the Rangers, the first game against the Rangers, where the Penguins won by a score of 4-3 in a shootout. Uh, Teddy Bluger registered a goal, which was nice to see Jared McCann also getting a goal. Brian Rust getting a goal. Totally got lost there. Uh, they scored the shootout. Jake Gensel, I believe, was the shootout. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. So um, nice to see, uh, Frank, nice to see contributions from guys like Jared McCann, Brian Rust, and Teddy Bluger. Uh, more specifically, McCann. He was able to get off the schneid and finally register a goal. Um, I think I'm still looking to get more uh, positive play out of Jared McCann. Uh, Teddy Bluger has been a nice shining light in that bottom six. Uh, and uh, I believe, Frank, correct me if I'm wrong, If was it Jake Ensel that scored the, the shootout winner? I believe it was. I'm trying to look back. I believe it was uh, Jake Ensel that scored the shootout winner. I want to say, yeah, I want to say Jake Ensel scored that uh, scored the shootout winner to give the Penguins a score or to give the Penguins the win by a score of four to three. I just looked; it is uh, Latang that scored the final shot. Okay, okay. Jake Ensel did get a, a goal to start it out, but uh, Latang got the finisher and then Jari finished it off. So, all right, all right. Thank you for that, Frank. Uh, yeah, uh, the Rangers, I don't think the Rangers have been off to the hottest start. Nice to see the Penguins collect another two points, albeit you're obviously giving uh, the loser point to the Rangers. I think what I'd like to see over the next uh, the next week or coming weeks 
is the Penguins start to rattle off more regulation wins, but that is obviously going to be difficult with the way that their defense is currently structured, and we'll get into that in a few moments as well. Uh, but Frank, before, uh, like I said, I'd like to move on rather quickly. Do you have anything else you want to add in the 4-3 to shootout win for the Penguins over the Rangers? Uh, I thought Brian Rust had one of his best games. You mentioned he had a goal in this game. Um, he played like a guy. I know he had been uh, getting dropped to the third time, third line uh, at some points during the uh, previous game. So he played like a guy that wanted to go back onto uh, Malkin's line and stay up there. Um, so I thought uh, Brian Rust had one of his best games. Um, I said on last week's show that Tristan Jari, uh, these two games against the Rangers would be uh, a make or break kind of for Tristan Jari as far as his confidence. Obviously, they won both games. Maybe not how you would have wanted to, but a win is a win. Um, so hopefully this maybe boosts his confidence a bit. You can't put it all on him. The team in front of him has not particularly played well. Uh, they haven't really necessarily started out games well as uh, either. So, But, uh, again, a win is a win, and hopefully this boosts Jari's confidence a little bit um, moving on in the season. Yeah, Frank, uh, just to put a bow on the Tristan Jari conversation, uh, the, the shootout win that Jari played in, he registered a, I believe it was a 9-12 save percentage. And yeah. the following game, uh, the 2-3 win for the Penguins in regulation, uh, he registered a 9-23 save percentage, uh, 24 saves on 26 shots. So we'll talk about this, the second game of the little mini series between the Penguins and Rangers. Sidney Crosby registering two assists, Jake Gensel, uh, officially getting on the score sheet with a goal. Jared McCann with another goal and Brian Rust getting a goal as well. It's nice to see the Penguins getting points where they need to, especially at this point in the season uh, with a lot of the defensive injuries that they've already sustained early on. I don't know if the Rangers are, like like we had said, I believe on last week's episode of the podcast, uh, the Rangers aren't really all there yet. They have some promising pieces and they may still a win or two here or there, but uh, nice to see the Penguins get a, a regulation win for once, uh, scoring two goals in the third period to eke out a one-goal win. Uh, but, Frank, do you have any thoughts on this 3-2 to two win that the Penguins had over the Rangers on January 24th? Uh, again, I think Russ played another great game against the, I hate to keep saying Russ, but he started out slow just as the whole Penguins team to start the year, but Russ is uh, what you would expect. Um just scoring and getting to the net. And again, this is, he had another great game in, in my opinion. Um, it was tough to see Rodriguez go down with an injury. He had been playing pretty well, um, but it's guys like Casperi uh, Kapanen and Jason Zucker, who we really haven't talked about or even mentioned on any of our episodes to start the year. Um, it was nice to see those guys kind of step up a little bit and help out that second line. Cause they have been uh, pretty brutal to start the year. Yeah, moving forward, uh, speaking of Kasperi Kapanen and Jason Zucker, moving forward to Tuesday, January 26th, in the first game of the season against the Boston Bruins, it, uh, it, it this game followed a similar pattern for the Penguins where uh, they would go down and eventually complete the comeback, scoring two goals in the third period to tie the game at two. The Penguins and Bruins would go into overtime where the Boston Bruins would get the decisive game-winning goal and win the game by a score of 3-2. to two. But uh, from the Penguins' perspective, Jason Zucker, Kasperi Kapanen, both register what I believe is their first, their first goals of this season, which was nice to see what you were alluding to. Jason Zucker had a goal and an assist, two points 
four shots on goal in uh, that first game against the Bruins, which was nice to see, Frank. Uh, but I think, like I had mentioned at the onset of this, what I really would like to see the Penguins do is start collecting more regulation wins. And uh, we could talk about the issues that the Penguins have since sustained on their blue line here, because I think the the, the mini series against the Bruins really highlighted some of the flaws that and some of the issues that the Penguins are dealing with, having to heavily rely on uh, guys like Chad Ruedel, John Marino is playing on his offside in a pairing with Cody Ceci, uh, the highly, uh, I wouldn't say highly touted prospect, but very impressive prospect in Pierre-Olivier Joseph. P.O. Joseph has since made his NHL debut, and I think he has played uh, rather well. He has, since, he has been exceeding my expectations as a 21-year-old blue liner, which is very nice to see. Uh, it looks like he's not out of place at all. Uh but Frank, I think the the issues that the Penguins have on defense now, uh, they have since lost Brian Dumoulin, Yuso Rikula, Mike Matheson, Marcus Pedersen. All of these guys are left-handed shots. They basically lost their entire left side of their defense, and they're having to rely on uh, P.O. Joseph and, and and guys like John Marino and Marino, who hasn't had the best start of his season. He's playing on his offside. Uh, with Cody Ceci, uh, Marino's playing on the left side, and he's a right-handed defenseman, so he's still in a rather large funk to begin the season. But the Penguins are trying to make do with what they have on that depleted blue line. And uh, another piece of news that came out uh, right before the resigna- shocking resignation of Jim Rutherford: the Penguins have signed, have since signed, uh, um, veteran defenseman Yannick Weber to a one-year uh, one-year contract uh, and to help bring a little bit of veteran presence back on that blue line. So hopefully uh, Yannick Weber will be, uh, will help the Penguins uh, as they look to continue to try and regroup and get some of these healthy bodies back. But Frank, for the time being, uh, the, the, the Penguins find themselves in some pretty deep water right now. And uh, they really just have to withstand the storm with, with the players that they have available to them. And uh, I, I think going into this series against the, the, this mini series against the Bruins, I kind of expected the Penguins to get outplayed. Maybe they would steal a win, and they did steal a point in that overtime loss. Uh, but let's move forward, Frank, to the four to one loss that the Penguins suffered. Uh, a bigger scoreline, obviously, losing by a three goal deficit, four to one. And uh, who was the only goal scorer? Cody Ceci was the only goal scorer for the Penguins in that game, registering his his first goal of the season. And uh, he, he that that's really all the offense that the Penguins could muster. It was really you could really tell Frank that this game in particular. Uh, the Penguins just really, they were outmatched by the Bruins in just about every facet of the game. They had to call up uh, career minor leaguer Kevin Churchman, who hadn't played in the NHL since 2013 or 2014. Uh, he did not look like a, a an NHL caliber defenseman out there. Uh so, Frank, looking at these two losses the Penguins sustained to the Bruins, I mean, things could be a lot a lot worse, uh, given where the Penguins stand right now. They're 4-3-1 and one on the season. They'll have two more games against the Rangers coming up here. Frank, I think, I think the message Mike Sullivan is preaching to his players right now is, you know, at least one of them, I would think, is just go out there and, and try to play your game to the play Penguins hockey to the best of your ability. Things aren't ideal right now on that blue line. 
And, you know, who knows how long it will be before we get Mike Matheson, uh, Marcus Pedersen, Yuso, Rickola, Brian Dumoulin. Who knows how long it'll be before we get all of those guys back in the lineup. But, you know, for the time being, things look rather bleak for the Penguins, but you never know how, how they'll play. And if, 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 if Sidney Crosby and Evgeny Malkin, if that top six can really start to find some fire, uh, things may may turn around for the Penguins and, you know, they they, they may have some more favor, favorable results in the future. But, uh, Frank, do you have any thoughts, any other thoughts to to close out this recap segment uh, in the two games that you witnessed between the Penguins and the Bruins? I just, no. I'm just going to recap, like, the or give my thoughts on, like, the last four games and going back to the Rangers. I think in every game there was, like, a theme. And I think that theme is we start out slow. We, meaning the Penguins, start out slow. And against the Rangers, they were able to come back and they were able to weather the storm. Against Boston, in the first game, they, they were able to come back and push it to overtime and uh, eventually win that game. But you mentioned the 4-1 to one loss uh, the other night. Um, that just, we started out slow and we just stayed slow. We just did not have any sort of fight, if you will. Tristan Jari did not play his best game at all he needed with all the uh with the undermanned defensive personnel we have uh he we needed at least an above average uh performance out of Jari and that did not happen um so I think just the theme not even in the last four games but just to start out the year every game it seems like the Penguins have started out slow and the last few games they were able to come back from that just the other night we they just had no fight and they just got outplayed as you mentioned in every facet of the game our our power play our special teams really has struggled to start the year and then again that goes back to especially on the penalty killing that just goes back to our undermanned defense uh defensive group so we'll see what we'll see what uh, the penguins have what answers they have as far as and we'll get we'll talk about that coming up here later as to far as to uh what maybe this the interim general manager has up his sleeve, but uh, the Penguins need help on defense. They just need help as a whole, and hopefully we've got uh, we've got some help coming. Yeah, that's all you can do, and that's all you can hope for is that these injuries heal um, rather quickly. But Frank, the, the Pittsburgh Penguins as an organization are really on a roller coaster, maybe if you want to go even more extreme, you could say that they're in shambles both on the ice and in the front office. Obviously the biggest story, one that sent shockwaves around the rest of the NHL was the surprise resignation of now former general manager, Jim Rutherford, who resigned on January 27th. And uh, Frank, I didn't see this coming. Really nobody saw this coming. And like I said, this sent shockwaves around the rest of the league. You know, a veteran general manager, one who has brought in two Stanley Cups to the Pittsburgh Penguins, all of a sudden ups and quits seven or eight games into the regular season. And, uh, you know, Jim Rutherford, his reasoning for resigning from his post, he cited personal reasons. Uh, It has since come to light that, you know, he hasn't resigned because of health reasons. He hasn't resigned because, you know, he had some sort of blow up with the apparent, allegedly there may have been some sort of blow up with Rutherford and the rest of the executives on the Penguins about uh, Rutherford wanting to trade Malkin or Chris Letang after 
the team's rather slow start to begin the season. Rutherford has seemingly shot down every uh, feasible explanation for why he could have abruptly left the Penguins in the state that he did. And with Jim Rutherford's sudden departure, the Pittsburgh Penguins had to promote an interim general manager. That uh, that interim general manager is longtime Penguins executive Patrick Alvine, who and Alvine has been with the Penguins for the better part of 15 years, and uh, he has really honed his skills in the Penguins scouting department, and more specifically his European scouting. He, uh, uh, from what I understand of Alvin, he has a really strong knack for scouting European talent. Uh, but f- f- Frank, for when looking at this Jim Rutherford story and the the sudden promotion for Patrick Alvin and where the Penguins go from here, looking to find a more permanent general manager, uh, there are still more questions than answers as it relates to Jim Rutherford's departure. And there's no way that we can go through and and you know. Uh, talk about every single nook and cranny that may have led to that may have led to Rutherford's departure or where the penguins can go from here. You know, we could spend hours on end talking about where the penguins go from here, but for the time being, Frank, Jim Rutherford is out. Patrick Alvine is in. Uh, what do you make of this rather incredible development that the penguins have had uh, over the last 48 to 72 to 96 hours? It's obviously a shocking turn of events. Uh, no, again, you mentioned it. Nobody saw it coming. I, I read something the other day. Sidney Crosby, there was a comment that he, you know, he didn't see it coming. There was a lot of people in this organization, and as you mentioned, around the league that did not see Jim Rutherford uh, ultimately, I guess, retiring. Uh, when was it? The other, when was it? Like Thursday? Or what are we on? Friday right now? So we, uh, we definitely are, and again, I'm shocked as well. We don't know, as you mentioned, what the actual motive was behind this. He mentioned, uh, or you mentioned, that uh, there was no health reasons. The man is 71 years of age. We are in the middle of a pandemic right now. He would be considered high risk for any COVID, um, COVID uh, symptoms, or if he were to catch COVID. You have to wonder, and again, I know you just mentioned that he uh, he cited no health reasons for his reasoning of retiring, but you know how it happens in every sport. There's always something that never gets told. It's just it's just shocking. You you wonder you wonder what the actual motive was behind it. Yeah, the Penguins as a team weren't playing well. Do you think he did? He just get tired of 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 doing the work. Uh, you just don't know. And I'm not going to sit here and speculate on it, but. Uh, definitely a shocker for the Penguins. As you mentioned, Patrick Alvin takes over 15 years with the organization. We'll see We'll see where he takes this team. Um, there's a lot of work to do. Uh, you'll, we'll have to see if he picks up kind of where Rutherford left off. I'm sure Rutherford had been working the phones looking for defensive help, and we know Rutherford has a, uh, a trade finger, an itchy trade finger. Um, he likes to pull trades early. So we'll see if Alvin uh, goes that same route or just kind of like I said, picks up where he left off, looking for that defensive help. Um, but again, it's a shocker. Nobody saw this coming. Will this actually be the end? I was just reading something earlier. Uh, Rutherford may may end up coming back to the NHL in some sort of fashion. So is this actually the end for Rutherford? It's yet to be seen, but right now he's, he's out and Alvin is in. 
Yeah, Frank, that's a good point you brought up there, uh, citing the 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 COVID restrictions and the the landscape that Rutherford would be in. He is considered high risk, obviously, due to his age. Uh, that you know that very well could have played on his mind. You know, uh, it, it hasn't been easy for a lot of people during the the age of COVID and the restrictions that they've had to go through in any line of work. And I think for a 71-year-old Rutherford, you know, maybe he weighed that on his mind with his family. Maybe he felt like, you know, the, the, the work he had to do while he was disconnected from the team in some way or another due to the COVID restrictions, you know, maybe it was too much to bear. Uh, but, you, you know, maybe... Uh, in the in the days, weeks, and months to come, maybe a more solid or concrete answer will come out as to why he really decided to step down from his post. Uh, and and it's it's since being reported that the Penguins are looking to move uh, and and bring in a more permanent general manager, whether that be Patrick Alvine or an, another person within the organization or an outside hire. Uh, the Penguins uh, look to. Ha- want to have somebody in place within the next month, uh, according to TSN insiders, uh, the TSN insider trading segment, uh, Pierre Lebrun, who is uh, re- reporting for the Athletic and, and a very uh, credible uh, NHL insider, has said that the Penguins uh, do have a short list of candidates uh, that they would be interested in, uh, in interviewing and maybe bringing on, and those. Those names include, but are not limited to, uh, guys like Jason Botterill, who is a former Pittsburgh Penguin executive and a one-time general manager of the Buffalo Sabres, former Philadelphia Flyers general manager Ron Hextall. Uh, Tom Fitzgerald was another assistant general manager, I believe, under Jim Rutherford and the Pittsburgh Penguins at one time. Uh, Stanley Cup winning general manager with the Boston Bruins, Peter Chiarelli. Uh, guys who have been in the the NHL executive bubble for a long time. So it looks like the Penguins want to bring in a rather experienced player uh, when it comes to uh, controlling the day-to-day operations and a, a person who is well-experienced with these higher executive general manager type roles, which is no surprise. Uh, Alvin, Patrick Alvin, who was thrust into this interim title all of a sudden, you know, I'm sure there are uh, uh, many, many types of uh, inexperiences that he doesn't have just based on, you you know, all of the craziness that comes with being the general manager of of an NHL team. So it's no surprise to me that the Penguins want to go, possibly want to go with someone that has a bit more experience on their resume. But I would, Frank, I would look for the Penguins to probably wrap this up within the next maybe three to four weeks. And if not, I would think Alvin holds on to that interim title into the off season. If, if, if a candidate doesn't come along that wows penguins executives like David Morehouse and Mario Lemieux, if, if nobody comes along, I, I think Alvin is, is well equipped to, and has a decent supporting staff to at least get them to the end of the season and into the off season. But this is going to be one of the bigger stories to watch around the NHL for obvious reasons. Uh, the Penguins, as a team, are kind of uh, fledgling right now, still trying to get some consistency on the ice, and having that inconsistency, uh, you, you know, having that inconsistency of, among those executives, you know, that can also be another issue. 
But uh, the, the Penguins are in a little bit of a state of flux right now, Frank. And hopefully, you know, within the next month or so, things start to calm down. Players start to come back who are currently on injured reserve or unavailable. And the Penguins hopefully will have a, a more permanent general manager within the next month. But uh, this is really, Frank, if you think about it, quite a crazy week. One of the crazier weeks in recent memory that comes to mind for me when looking at the last, I don't know, five to 10 years of, of Penguins hockey. But uh, Frank, do you have any other thoughts you want to add on whether it be Jim Rutherford's legacy? I know we'll talk about more of that as we approach the mailbag segment coming up. Uh, but do you have anything else you want to add on Jim Rutherford's legacy as general manager of the Penguins or or where you think the Penguins might go from here as it relates to their all-of-a-sudden new search for a general manager? I think Jim Rutherford's uh, leg legacy should be uh, looked at as a positive one. Of course, he, he, he came here, he kind of changed the culture, brought in, uh, you know, Mike Johnston was obviously the first coach he had hired, and then uh, that didn't really work out, made that change to Mike Sullivan, and then from there on out, it was all positives. We won back-to-back -back Stanley Cups. Uh, Rutherford seemed to push all the right buttons those those Stanley Cup winning years. Um, so I think his legacy should be looked at in a positive light. Nothing negative, in my opinion. Um, as far as who, who they should look at for maybe next general manager, I think Jason Botterill would be a good fit. I think Peter Trevelli, uh, as you mentioned, won a Stanley Cup with Boston. I think he'd be uh, a nice fit. Uh, a guy you didn't mention, though, and for obvious, re obvious reasons, he's uh, locked up within the organization right now. Um, but a guy that I personally would have loved to see was, uh, assistant, the former assistant general manager, uh, Billy Guerin. Um, I just, you know, I think Billy Guerin would have fit perfectly in the role as general manager. Obviously he's in Minnesota now doing well with them as their general manager, but, you know, obviously he knows the Penguins well, having played for us, uh, in 09, 010, or 09 and 2010. So I just think. Billy Guerin would have been a great fit for us, and you know he knows got he knows Sid, he knows the Tang, he knows Malkin. So I think, I think that would just would have been one of the perfect fits. But again, he's in Minnesota, so a man can dream, and that would have been my my pick for GM. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Yeah, I don't I don't know if Billy Guerin will will well first off, I don't think he can because he's under contract with the Minnesota Wild. But, you know, uh we have some time to fantasize over the next coming days and weeks about, you know, who the perfect general manager would be. But uh we'll save that conversation for another day down the road, Frank. We have a jam-packed mailbag segment, and for good reason, with this being the most news that the Penguins have had in quite some time. So uh, let's dive into our Pennsburg podcast mailbag segment. If you're a first-time listener or long-time listener, and you want to get in on all of this fun action as it relates to our mailbag segment, you can do so by hopping on Twitter 
following our Pensburg podcast Twitter account at Pensburg Pod, and every week we'll send out a mailbag tweet asking for your for your participation in our mailbag. No question is off limits, Frank. We have seven questions to get to a jam packed mailbag, like I said, and because a lot of these questions are still going to relate to Jim Rutherford and uh, all, all of that craziness in that story. Uh, this mailbag segment will be a bit more open-ended and will allow for dialogue between you and myself. So, uh, Frank, we'll start off with the first question here from longtime supporter Cole Del Vecchio. And this is going to be a bit of a longer question looking at Jim Rutherford's history. But Cole wants to know, the most underrated, the most overrated your favorite and least favorite Jim Rutherford moves. And Frank, I'll go first to list my to list my favorite moves here that Rutherford has made over his six six plus years as general manager of the Penguins. And you mentioned it earlier, Frank. Jim Rutherford has always had an itchy trade finger. Uh, but looking at Cole's first question, underrated, most underrated move. I think when I think of underrated, huh? Uh, Nick Bonino comes to mind, uh, s- swapping out Brandon Sutter, sending Brandon Sutter to Vancouver and bringing in Nick Bonino uh, to really kind of take hold of that third line center role. And obviously, we know what would happen with Carl Hagelin and Phil Kessel forming that third line to eventually win the Stanley Cup. Uh, another underrated move that comes to mind is swapping out. Uh, Rob Scuderi for Trevor Daly. Uh, that was really one of the first moves that comes to mind as as uh, the Penguins would go on that season to win their first of the back-to-back Stanley Cups. Getting out, getting out of Rob Scuderi's contract and his re- his limited mobility as a, I think he was like 37 at the time, a 37-year-old defenseman for Trevor Daly's mobility to fit this new style of play that the Penguins wanted to bring in more speed and skill. And I think Trevor Daly delivered that. Uh, overrated. The most one of the most overrated uh, trades or transactions that I think Jim Rutherford participated in. Um, I think my mind goes to Jack Johnson first and foremost, and I can list Jack Johnson under uh, the least favorite move as well. Uh, I think Jim Rutherford's made like over fifty trades as general manager. Uh, you know, it's impossible to remember all of them that he's made. So forgive me, Cole, if I'm forgetting something. And, and and something else comes to your mind, uh, but over like Jack Johnson did not work out work out here in Pittsburgh. I don't know. He really hasn't worked out anywhere. I don't know what Jim Rutherford saw in Jack Johnson's play, other than having a, a personal connection to him. Uh, while you, you know uh, Jack Johnson was a player that Jim Rutherford drafted, uh, but other than that personal connection, obviously he did not work out here. My favorite trade. That or, or transaction that Jim Rutherford orchestrated, and I think this is the biggest trade out of his entire tenure, has to be the Phil Kessel trade. I mean, Phil Kessel came here basically, I mean, basically was a power play specialist. The, the Penguins got what was advertised when they traded for Phil Kessel. Uh, coming over from Toronto, his first season under you know under Mike Johnston really didn't work out all that well. But you could say that for a lot of Penguins who were playing under Johnston at the time. Once Kessel switched with Mike Sullivan, and uh, I, I think all of the offensive woes that were happening under Mike Johnston at the time, that dam burst, 
and uh, all of the offense started to come out when the Penguins switched their scheme to more speed and skill. Phil Kessel was as advertised, in my opinion, from day one to the last day before he was traded to the Arizona Coyotes. That will go down as one of the greatest trades in Penguins history for what it brought to this organization. Obviously, it brought two Stanley Cups and the legendary HBK line that has gone on to live in, uh, in, in the history books. So that has to be my 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 favorite transaction that he uh, he pulled off. And to end this, to end Cole's question, least favorite Jim Rutherford moves. I mentioned Jack Johnson. Uh, Antti Niemi is up there for whatever reason that didn't work out. Matt Hunwick, another defenseman that didn't work out for the Penguins. Uh, you, you know, towards the end, I, I'd say at the end of his tenure, Rutherford definitely had more misses than home runs uh, when stepping into the batter's box, but. Frank, looking at Cole's question, what do you have when it comes to underrated, overrated, favorite, and least favorite Jim Rutherford moves? I think you stole all my answers. I, I, I'm sitting here trying to come up with new answers as you're, as you're raffling off the answers to these questions. Every answer you gave uh, pretty much was mine. The underrated one, um, as far as what's the most underrated move was, I think, you mentioned Nick Benito was the was one that came to mind for me. I think Carl Haglund, Carl Haglund also coming to town, kind of changed the team with his speed, or changed the uh, how we played. You know, with his uh, with his speed, and it showed in the playoffs, and it showed in the Cup Finals and the Cup runs there. Um, our his speed, and as as we moved on in the uh, in the later in the postseason and the in the Cup in the Stanley cup finals, you, you noticed our speed was killing up the uh, opposing team. So, and he was a big part of that. You know, you mentioned the HBK line with uh, Benino and Kessel. So I would say Carl Hagelin for me was an underrated move. Nick Benino was part of that, but you mentioned that earlier. Um, as far as favorite move again, Phil Kessel was my answer as well for what they gave up at the time. It wasn't all that much really. It was, for a superstar, I, and I'm going to call Phil Kessel a superstar. If you can yeah, disagree with absolutely. me, you can disagree with me if you want. Whoever's listening, in my opinion, Phil Kessel is a superstar, and for you know what the Penguins had given up at the time for him, um, wasn't all that much. So uh, to bring a guy like Phil Kessel to town, and you know, um, we won the Stanley Cup, we won back-to-back cups. You know, for his first and since then his only two cups. Um, in his NHL career. So I think that's my favorite move uh, as Rutherford's um, tenure here. You mentioned uh, bringing in Trevor Daly, I think was a, a, not, I wouldn't call that a favorite move, but I think that was another great move uh, trading him for Rob Scuderi. Um, Overrated. I, I think of Derek Broussard, that Derek Broussard trade. Cause at the time, at the time it seemed like everyone wanted Derek Broussard and, we had pulled off that trade, and it seemed like it was just a complicated trade at the time. It was like three teams, I think, were involved, Vegas and obviously Ottawa and Pittsburgh. And Broussard, in his own right, had played well that year, and he had every right to be chased by multiple teams. And then he came to Pittsburgh and really didn't do anything. Uh, he kind of stunk up the joint uh, the rest of that season and the playoffs, and then even the following season. Before I believe we uh, we traded him to Florida, I believe it was. Yes. Um, so for me, that's the that's an overrated that was the overrated move by Jim Rutherford. 
Um, and again, you mentioned least favorite. I think that's going to everyone's answer might be the same here, and that's Jack Johnson. He really has not played well anywhere he's been. Um, and to give a guy like that, whether you're Crosby's best friend or not, to give a guy like that a five-year deal um, for the money that he had given him was not the smartest, nor was it the my f- uh, favorite uh, move uh, of the Jim Rutherford error. So, again, I, I tried to make some different answers after you stole most of mine, but I think I think for me those are kind of the moves, uh, underrated, overrated, favorite, and least favorite of Jim Rutherford's time here in Pittsburgh. All righty, we'll move on to question number two here from uh, another another favorite of the mailbag segment, Stephen Whitehouse. Thanks for your question. And Cole, th- before I go any further, Cole, thanks for your question as well. Stephen Whitehouse wants to know, between games already played, injuries, and being carried by our depth players, how much more time does the team have to get things firing on all cylinders before it's too late? Uh, with this in mind and Jim Rutherford, Jim Rutherford being gone are more big changes to follow. Uh, well, the, the Penguins have played what? How, how many games have they played? Seven, Seven. Eight? Eight, 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 eight games. Um, you, you know, these games are obviously magnified and for, for a valid reason with them only being in a, a condensed 56 game schedule, obviously uh, I'm still a believer I know a lot of the fan base, especially you can see it on Twitter. I'm still a believer that the, uh, the the Penguins will find a way to right the ship. I think Evgeny Malkin and Chris Letang have too much talent at their disposal. And with so much history behind them, they're still too talented to continue to play like this for an entire season. Uh, Sidney Crosby started the season out strong and he's kind of cooled off a little bit, but look, the Penguins going into this season, were going to have to be carried by their top six, because in my opinion, the bottom six wasn't as strong as it had been in previous, previous seasons. And that is a discredit to Jim Rutherford, another discredit to Jim Rutherford, in my opinion. Uh, you know, when Rutherford resigned, he was so quick that people were so quick to, to, uh, dismiss Rutherford and, to to you know just take out uh, you know all of their anger towards Rutherford and I'm not here to to defend Rutherford in the slightest you know towards the end of his tenure I didn't agree with a lot of the moves that he had made but at the end of the day the banners that hang in PPG Paints Arena from 2016 and 2017 those banners are going to live forever and that's what solidified Rutherford's legacy to me that's why I don't have a lot of ill will towards Jim Rutherford and his resignation, uh, as a lot of other people do in the fan base right now, especially on social media. Uh, I think a lot of fans who are in this fan base need to take a step back and reassess and look at the big picture over the last 10 years going back to 2009 and the amount of success that the Penguins have had over the last 10 to 15 years has been mind boggling. The 31 uh, or the 30 soon to be 31 other franchises in this league would kill to have the success, the prolonged success that the penguins have had over the last 10 to 15 years. Uh, So I think this team deserves a little bit more slack uh, I, I know Malkin and Latang are not playing at w- the levels that we're accustomed to seeing them. And I know 
uh, people are very quick to overreact to begin with to anything, but they're even quicker to overreact because this is such a a a, a shorter schedule and a shorter season. I, I I still I want to give them you know especially with all of the injuries that they have on defense right now, you're not going to get a clear picture of what the Penguins are when you're playing constantly playing guys like Kevin Churchman. And you're playing John Marino on his offside with Cody Cece. When you're relying on all of these depth players, you're not getting a clearly painted picture of what the Penguins are. When Mike Matheson, Brian Dumoulin, Yuso Ricola, Marcus Pedersen, when those guys come back, and hopefully the Penguins don't sustain any injuries to their big stars like Gensel, Crosby, Malkin, and Kapanen, and Latang. If if the health can turn around for the Penguins, and health has always been a big issue for this team, if the health can turn around and these players get healthy again, give them, I don't know, five to 10 games, you know, with this lineup that we were supposed to have. And then I'll make an assessment there uh, with, with Stephen, with, with the, uh, the second part of your question, as it relates to other big changes with, uh, with Jim Rutherford's departure. No, I don't foresee, uh, I don't foresee Mike Sullivan, you know, being fired at the moment. Uh, I think the instability in the Penguins front office is something that they want to manage to begin with. Uh, and like I had mentioned before, the fact that the Penguins are relying on these minor leaguers to come up and having to play these big minutes, I think it clouds the picture of what the Penguins really are. I don't know if the Penguins are a good team. I don't know if they're a Stanley Cup winning team this year with the lack of bottom six, true bottom six depth that they have. But uh, I think Mike Sullivan deserves a, a, a longer leash at this point to at least get a roster that more accurately depicts what the Penguins were going to get when the season started instead of relying on your Kevin Churchmans and your 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 Sam Lafferty's and what have you. But uh, I know that was an incredibly long-winded answer to your question, Frank. I'll hand the mic over to you. Uh, you know, how, Do you have a different opinion on you know, how much more time the Penguins have, or do you foresee other changes happening in the Penguins front office? Um, as far as how much more the Penguin time the Penguins have, I'm looking at their standing, the standings right now. They're only in fourth place in the Eastern division in the Eastern division. Yes. It's a very tough division having to face the Capitals, the Bruins, the Flyers all the time. I don't know if we want to really want to throw the Sabres and the Devils in there. I know the Rangers, we mentioned that uh, they really have nothing to play for this year as they're still in kind of a rebuilding mode. But they're only in fourth place, the Penguins. And there's still a chance that, you know, they can fight their way back up top to the top of the standings. I wouldn't say first place because you've got the always seems like the juggernaut capital juggernaut capitals um, of the regular season because they always seem to show up in the regular season until playoff time comes. Um, they haven't lost a game in the regu- in the uh, in regulation yet. So the Capitals, of course, you expect them to be at the top. The Bruins, we know, we're going to be at the top. But if you can fight that way back up to the third spot, maybe overtake the Flyers, um, I think we'd be in good position. We'd be in good, pretty good shape. Now we just got to see how the team plays. The, obviously, the team has not played well to start the year. We we have touched on that. Um, but Garrett, here's where I disagree with you. You give a guy like Chris Letang. You, you seem to be giving him a free pass. I'm not going to give him a free pass. I th- he's one of the leaders of our defense, and he's played pretty much like straight garbage to start the year. And we saw the last two games, of course, 
were not his best games at all. There's probably two of his worst games of the whole year, and he has not played well the entire year. So I, to give a guy like that a free pass, he's supposed to be our leader, one of the leaders of the team, not only the defensive group, but the team. Um, he gets paid, if correct me if I'm wrong, $7 million a year around that, around that total. Um, I'm not giving him a free pass. The, yes, we have injuries on the defensive side, um, but this is where we need him to step up. When he went down in 2017, everyone wrote the Penguins off, saying they weren't going to win the Stanley Cup. They weren't going to win the Stanley Cup. And yes, we did have a better defense than we do now, so I can't really compare the two. But what did their de- what did the defense do? They did nothing but step up. And what did we do? We won the Stanley Cup. So not giving him a free pass. I think he needs to play better. He knows he needs to play better, and he he needs to kind of lift the spirits of these other defensemen, the young defensemen, the guys that you just mentioned, Churchman. Um, P.O. Joseph, you got Chad Ruedel, who's not really a young defenseman, but in my in my opinion, he's not really the guy. Help them out. Give them give them some pointers, maybe when you're on the bench. Hey, do something different. Just trying to look, just trying to lift their spirits a little bit and help them out. I don't I don't know if Latang is even doing anything like that. Maybe his confidence has has wavered a bit since he knows he's not playing well and he's just kind of you know, trying to figure it out himself, but he needs to help these get young guys out. He needs to, you know, give them pointers where he can and just kind of not play so bad. I, I know it's easier said than done with a, with a team that's not healthy right now, but you just got to figure it out. He's a veteran. He's been in this league long enough. He's won three Stanley Cups. He, he's one of the leaders of this team and that defense I'm not giving him a free pass, and I know we're gonna we've got a question about him later in this mailbag segment, um, so I don't want to go too much on Latang, but that's where I disagree with you, Garrett. Uh, you seem to give him a free pass. I'm not. As far as the second part of uh, Stephen's question, um, I don't see any big changes coming, as you mentioned with Mike Sullivan. Obviously, the team needs big changes, and we'll see if, uh, like I mentioned before, Valvine picks kind of picks up where Rutherford had left off. Because again, I'm sure Rutherford was working the phones, and I'm sure he was trying to get help. So does does Alvine kind of go in that same direction, or does he just he say, "Hey, I'm the guy now. Let me do what I want." Like, does he kind of blow it, blow things up altogether? You never know what he's thinking. You never know where what the uh, rest of the ownership group and the front office is thinking. So I think this is kind of Alvin's team now uh, as far as the interim tag goes. And we got just got to see where if he gets us more help. Like I said, if he goes the same route Rutherford was going or if he kind of just, I wouldn't say blow it up. Blow it up was kind of the wrong term. But does he make some other changes? You had mentioned earlier that Rutherford had wanted to trade or was looking into trading Latang and Malkin. This is maybe Alvin kind of, if they continue to play poorly. And I think, again, we have a mailbag question about Latang later on. But does Alvin kind of re-explore those uh, trade discussions, if you will? So I think there will be big changes, and I think it just has to do with the team itself and not like Mike Sullivan or anything in the front office. All right, question number three comes from Brian. Uh, Fun one for you guys. Build the ideal player. For mine, I would start with Zidane Chara's size. Give him Connor McDavid's speed, Mario Lemieux's hands, Sidney Crosby's puck protection, 
uh, slash playmaking ability and Austin Matthews shot. Uh, well, Brian, uh, I hate to be this kind of person, but I'm probably going to steal from you. Uh, I think everyone would love Zdeno Chara's size and mobility, being that he's what seven foot on skates, six eleven, not on skates. So yeah, if, if I can have Chara's size and mobility along with Connor McDavid's incredible burst, you know, I'll, I'll take that any day of the week. Mario Lemieux was, was renowned for his hands as such a big guy. Uh, Cindy Crosby's puck protection playmaking. I'm trying to think who, yeah, who were some other great puck protection kind of playmakers, uh, you know, this is a hard one to try and think off of the top of my head with so many players. Uh, but more specifically, looking at the last part, Austin Matthews shot. Austin Matthews does have a great shot, but I think I might have to go with the quick wrister of Phil Kessel there. Uh, you know, I just love I know Phil doesn't take many slap shots and watching the the bend on his stick, uh, how you know how much bend he gets when he uh, when he takes a a, a a wrist shot is really fun for me to see. Um, so I hate Brian. I hate to steal and basically copy what you said, but I mean, when you you want to build a the build like the best or prototypical player, I mean, you listed all of these players who are the best at their position for one reason or another, and um, you know, other than Austin Matthews shot swapping out with Phil Kessel, you know, looking at McDavid's speed. Uh, prime Carl Hagelin, he was obviously known as a speedster. Um, I, I know, I remember Dylan Larkin broke a record at the all-star game a couple of years ago for fastest skater. I don't know if that record has since been broken. Uh, but yeah, I think like those are the players, those are the players, Brian, that you listed that I, I would definitely want to build for my ideal player as well. Frank, I don't know if you can take this question in a different direction, uh, with other players coming off the top of your head, but uh, what do you have when it comes to building your ideal player? Yeah, I mean, Brian kind of already built the ideal player. I, I really can't disagree with too many of those players uh, or too many of those players' attributes to build that ide ideal player. You know, Sid's puck protection, playmaking ability. I would the name that maybe comes to my mind, Patrice, Patrice Bergeron. He's got a he play, he's got a, a great playmaking ability, I think, in my opinion. Um, you know, Mario's hands, you can't really disagree with that. Nobody really comes to mind. But, you know, maybe Sid has, I, you know, Sid has great hands. Do you put Sid on there twice? Um, McDavid's speed, I mean, he's one of the fastest players in the league. I was uh, I was thinking Carl Hagelin as well. You had brought him up. I was thinking his prime days, he, he was a, uh, he is a fast guy. So, I mean, and who doesn't want Sedano Shara's size? Um, like as you mentioned, seven foot uh, on skates, six eleven without. Uh, as far as the uh, who takes the shot, you know, he he went. Brian went with uh, Austin Matthews. I don't want to infuriate people with this one, but you know, in my opinion, I think Alex Ovechkin has one of the best shots in the league. Yeah, I agree. Um, he lets it go, and you don't you don't know where it's gonna go. Yeah, he always has one of the hardest shots, and I think he's got one of the best shots in the league, and. There's a reason he scores almost 50 goals a year and for me. And I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to infuriate people. We are a Penguins uh, podcast and we are not supposed to like anything capitals, but 
in my opinion. I think Alex Ovechkin has a uh, very good shot, and I would put him up there. Uh, all right. Penn's Hen is here with a question. Is Jim Rutherford still the Penguins' official vice president by any chance? Uh, no, I think all of his all of his titles were stripped of him the minute he announced his resignation. Uh, I, I, Jim Rutherford is now just uh, the ex-general manager. That is his new title. Unless he, I, I, Frank, you kind of alluded to it at the beginning of the show. Jim Rutherford may or may not go into a retirement uh, after he assesses all of his options uh, at the end of the season. He was... Uh, he was quote unquote retired after he was relieved from his duties uh, from the Carolina Hurricanes. And then he went right from the Hurricanes to becoming the general manager of the Pittsburgh Penguins. So uh, we don't know how long a retirement would last, but no, no I don't think Jim Rutherford has any more official titles uh, if, that are affiliated with the Pittsburgh Penguins. But uh, oh, go ahead, Frank. I can't really add really add too much to that. You know, he's he's out. He made his decision, and there's no official titles associated with Jim Rutherford anymore. And you mentioned, or I mentioned, and then you kind of followed up. Is he out of the league for good? He's said, like I said earlier, 71 years of age. How long does he really want to keep doing this kind of stuff? We'll see at the end of the year, or maybe the beginning of next year. Does he come back? Does he stay away? Um, so we'll see. But, uh, yeah, there's no official title for Jim Rutherford right now. All right. Question number five comes from Zach Jarrett. And Zach has two questions here. All right. Question number one, does the, does the resignation of Jim Rutherford suddenly inspire Mario Lemieux to take a hard look at an owner slash GM position? And question number two, with the way Chris Letang has played so far this season, would dealing him sooner rather than later be more beneficial take what you can get now or hope he improves all right zach i will take a tackle with question number one i don't think uh i don't know mario Lemieux personally i can just go off of the kind of owner that he has been since taking full control of the team but uh, I classify Mario Lemieux as a hands-off kind of owner. I think the best professional team, professional sports team owners uh, are the ones that are considered hands-off, th- that uh, the owners let the staff below them, the general managers and all of the other executives below the owner make those player personnel uh those kinds of decisions. I don't know if Mario ever considered becoming general manager i don't know if that's something that has ever i'm sure it might have crossed his mind at one point or another but i don't think you'll see uh you'll see a, a jerry jones kind of for for any dallas cowboys fans listening to this podcast or nfl fans uh jerry jones or you, you know ha- becoming that owner slash general manager i don't think mario lemieux is that kind of executive um i don't think he will all of a sudden become that executive either uh, what I do, what I do know, what I can tell you is from what I have read, Mario Lemieux will be hands-on in picking the team's next general manager. And he is there for Patrick Alvine if he has any sort of question or anything like that. So I do know Mario will offer his support and will offer his input. After all, he and, uh, uh, he owns the team. 
So uh, I, I, but I don't think owner slash GM. I don't think that is a position that Mario will take up anytime soon. And part two of your question deals with Latang and his playing so far this season. Asking, would you rather deal him sooner than later to try and get something, or hope Latang improves? Uh, I am. I have, I have always been a staunch defender of Chris Latang. I've had countless arguments with family members and friends uh, of Chris Letang's play over recent seasons, whether or not he is, um, you know, on the steady decline as a player. If you look at the advanced metrics of Chris Letang, he is by far and away the Penguins' best defenseman. Uh, I do not believe for one millisecond that the Penguins should trade Chris Letang under any circumstance. Now, will Chris Letang finish his career as a Pittsburgh Penguin? I'm less inclined to believe that. Uh, you know, we'll see where things stand. I, I know he and Evgeny Malkin will soon be up for contract extensions. Uh, but uh, I don't know if Letang, Letang will finish his career in Pittsburgh. But for the time being, I do not want Letang traded. Uh, I don't think there are there is a single player on that defense that can replicate what Chris Letang does on a nightly basis with his offensive instincts and not even mentioning the fact that he plays 30 minutes a night. Yes, you can definitely use the argument against me that Chris Letang's decision-making has been less than ideal for quite some time now. I think the offensive and defensive instincts outweigh. You take the good with the bad with Chris Letang, and I firmly believe he will remain the number one defender on this team for however long he is on this team. I think the Penguins become a worse team if Chris Letang is traded away. Uh, like I said before, I don't think you find a player on this roster that replicates what Chris Letang does. Uh, Chris Letang, there's a reason why he has been here with Evgeny Malkin and Sidney Crosby for so long. Otherwise, don't you think he would have been traded already if he was just another run-of-the-mill or above-average defenseman? I don't think he is that. I think he's a Hall of Fame defenseman, and there's a reason why he, Malkin, and Crosby are a part of that three-player core that everyone talks about when they assess the Penguins' chances of winning another Stanley Cup. I think Chris Letang is invaluable to the Penguins capturing another Stanley Cup, and I know I might be in the minority compared to the rest of this Penguins fan base, but this is a take that I firmly believe in and I'm not going to let go of. Frank, as I hand the microphone over to you, I know that even in this mailbag segment, you know, you voice some displeasure with Latang. So uh, I'll hand it over to you and for you to give your thoughts on Zach's couple of questions here. Yeah, uh, starting out with uh, Mario and if he takes an ownership jam position, he doesn't need to. He's the owner. So... Whoever, whether it's Alvin or if they uh, look at somebody from uh, outside the team, whoever whoever goes into that GM spot permanently, you work for Mario Lemieux anyway. You're, he's the owner. You're the GM. He works. You work for him. So he has say, no matter what, he doesn't need to be the GM. He, as you mentioned, he's going to be hands on and looking for a new GM. And I'm sure, as you mentioned. If Alvin, if Alvin has any questions, concerns, Lemieux would be more than willing to help him out. Lemieux does not need to take on more responsibility, if you will, uh, by becoming GM as well. Um, and like I said, he, he really doesn't need to. He's the owner. Anything that happens goes through him anyway. So uh, he has full say in what goes on with the team. As far as the second question, uh, 
if we should trade Latang. I'm gonna say I disagree. Or I'm not. I don't disagree with you as far as trading Latang. I don't think we should trade Latang. Uh, for me, it's different reasons, and you know, I mentioned earlier how how unhappy I am with his play so far this year. Um, I think I don't think we should trade Latang just for the sheer fact of what are we gonna get for him. He's played some of his worst hockey to start the year, and there's really what's the best that you can get for him. And the best that you can get for him right now, maybe a few draft picks, and maybe I wouldn't go as far as a top six uh, player on either defense or, or or forwards. But what kind of player would you get back? It, it, it wouldn't be a good, it wouldn't be a very good one in my opinion. Just again, just with how Latang has played this year, and and not even this year, the end of last year, he didn't play that well play that well either. Um, so I wouldn't trade Latang again. Different reasons than your uh, than what you just gave, but um, again, he just needs to step it up. And you know, he you mentioned he's an offensive-minded defenseman, and we really haven't seen any of that from him to start the year. Um, but again, I wouldn't trade him just because, and again, just because the sheer fact that we need help on the defensive side of the uh, of the uh, of the ice and. We just we need Latang and we need his leadership and like I said we just need him to figure things out and if there is confidence that he he has lost and knowing the way he's played lately hopefully he regains that and he can again shed some light on the, some of the younger guys that are coming up from Wilkes-Barre and you know help them out and and uh, hopefully we can get this turned around. All right, uh, this next question comes from AP and before I read. Question AP, if you're listening to this, uh, I just want you to know that I really, really, really like this question. Uh, AP wants to know, does new GM Patrick Alvin show any signs of utilizing their analytics staff? Uh, and the example he gave was Sam Ventura. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast, and uh, I know people who are very much pro-analytics in hockey, and I know people who are very much against these uh, advanced metrics in hockey. If you don't know who Sam Ventura is, uh, I'll give you a quick rundown. He was he was promoted a couple of years ago. Sam Ventura is I think he, I think he's still ser- currently serving as the in the hockey operations department as the director of hockey research. Uh, I could be wrong. His title could have changed. But for those interested who may not be familiar with Sam Ventura, uh, he's a, a a Pittsburgh native and. Uh, he previously co-founded the hockey analytics website War on Ice before joining the Pittsburgh Penguins. And uh, if you're not familiar with War on Ice, it, the, the website was a big, big uh, proponent, and it, it really laid out advanced analytics for for NHL players. Uh, I am a big, big fan personally of advanced metrics and and scouting personnel through advanced metrics. Uh, I know you can look at some of the moves that Jim Rutherford made and they clearly and starkly go against the uh, analytics staff. Uh, Jack Johnson is the, the biggest example of going against the grain and not paying attention to advanced metrics. And I said at the start of this question, I know people really kind of turn their head, turn, turn their nose down at, at the advanced analytics people and just call them a bunch of nerds. And I know people just prefer to look at a hockey game with their eyes 
and and you know just judge based on their eye test but i think i've i've always think since i started to learn about it, these advanced metrics i think they are a fantastic tool in evaluating player talent and to your to your original uh, question ap does alvin show any signs of utilizing this analytic staff i can't remember where i read it I've read a lot over the last couple of days as it relates to this Rutherford saga, but I do believe Patrick Alvin is in favor of using their analytic staff like Sam Ventura, which is a very, very welcome sign for me and a lot of other Penguins fans that I'm in communication with who uh, do support advanced metrics as a way to evaluate player personnel. Uh, I know that these advanced metrics may not be the be all end all and the single greatest thing to evaluate a hockey player. But when it comes to puck possession, you hear stats like Fenwick and Corsi for Corsi against, you know, I've used some of that in some of my posts on Pennsburg when looking at uh, uh, doing player recaps, you know, it's been, it's, it's kind of become a staple when talking about uh, how, a player is performing, you know, advanced analytics are, you know, starting to become the norm in the, a lot of these conversations we're having about players around the league. So I'm very intrigued with you AP on whether or not Patrick Alvin will utilize his advanced analytics staff. You know, I wasn't in the room with Rutherford and his staff when he was making these transactions and signing the players he was signing. But you, you know, for, for, for someone who does follow the advanced metrics, you can clearly see that Rutherford really didn't, at least he, he really didn't follow them too deeply because he signed players that were very much on the other end of that spectrum and who were not very good players, analytically speaking. But uh, Frank, I don't know if you follow advanced metrics as seriously as I do, uh, but nevertheless, I'll, I'll hand the mic over to you. And, uh, and see if you have any thoughts on the, the advanced metrics and analytics movement happening throughout hockey. I don't, uh, first off, AP, this was a very good question. Um, but I don't, I don't know too much about advanced metrics. Advanced metrics. I don't follow it as closely as you do, Garrett. Um, but in my opinion, I would be all for it. I think uh, Alvin should be all for it. And I think he should definitely ut- utilize the metrics and the analytics staff. Um, it couldn't, it couldn't hurt, right? You know, it can all, all it can do is help you. And as you mentioned, Jim Rutherford, uh, you know, being the, uh, wily veteran that he is, he, he, you know, made decisions and how he felt was best to, to help the team. And he may not have, uh, went with the analytics staff at the, uh, time of these transactions that he made. You mentioned Jack Johnson. Um, probably being one of the most notable ones. But again, as you mentioned, you were not in the room. I was not in the room. So we can only speculate on that end. But we've seen in other sports, baseball notably, they use they they have uh, they go analytic analytics nowadays, heavy analytics, I should say. Um, baseball is a sport that uses them, and it seemed to have worked out pretty well. I'm not sure if football, I, guess, I would guess football is kind of in that spectrum. You don't hear too much about it in basketball but again it could only help uh a guy as as well that has you know seems to be kind of going into a new position yeah he's been the assistant gm or he was the assistant gm and you know he's been with the organization for 15 years but again a guy is going kind of in a different different way uh now being the interim gm it can only help him so again 
I would be all for it, and I think Alvin should be all for it and, you know, utilize it as well. All right, Frank, we've reached question number seven, our final question of the mailbag segment. This one coming from Rob Sliv, I believe. That's if, if I copied that correctly from Twitter, uh, Rob Sliv. Can anyone give Pierre-Olivier Joseph a nickname? Say P.O. Joe. Sounds good to me. Um, boy, if you want, if you want uh, Joseph to get a nickname, uh, you know, <laughs> maybe refer to, uh, to uh, the Hall of Famer Mike Lang whenever he gets back into the booth. Uh, you know, he, he's coined nicknames over the years. P.O. Joe, I, you know, that's, that's fine with me. Uh, you know, I, I'm, not, I'm not good when it comes to developing nicknames. I looked at this question quite a bit before, I, before we uh, started recording, and uh, nothing can come to mind. So P.O. Joe has a nice short ring to it, rolls off the tongue, Sounds good to Rob. Sounds good to me. Uh, Frank, do you have any sort of suggestion when it comes to Pierre Olivier Joseph and his new nickname? Yeah, really. It sounds good to me too. Uh, P.O. Joe, short and sweet, and it's got his first in it, first two initials there, Pierre and Olivier. So P.O. and then his last name Joe, Joseph. So short and sweet, and I can't really come up with anything better. As you mentioned, I'm not good with any coming up with kind of nicknames for people or you know, anything along those lines. But this is like another great question or another kind of fun question. I know Brian had that earlier question with his ideal player, and that was one of the best questions we've had. Um, so, again, all these questions were great. And P.O. Joe is one that I will uh, I will stick with. And until, again, you mentioned Mike Lang probably will come up with something better. He's probably at home now writing it down, John tinkering with different things. So once he gets back in that booth, We'll hear what he says, and I'm sure, you know, he'll have something creative to come up with. But, again, P.O. Joe, uh, you know, I'm, I'm signing off on that one. All right, Frank, we have gone and we have recorded for one hour and 11 minutes. It's time to put a bow on this rather long episode of the Pennsburg Podcast. And for good reason, too. You know, this has been one of the most jam-packed recent weeks the Penguins have had in recent memory, like I mentioned uh, so, Frank, do you have anything else you'd like to add before we wrap up this episode of the Pennsburg Podcast? Not too much on my end. We'll just see where these Penguins head. Uh, hopefully, hopefully they go on an upward trend. Um, we'll see what Patrick Alvin does now as the interim GM. If any moves get made here within the next week before we do our next show, so uh, hopefully we're on an upward trend. Um, but we'll see. All right. Well, for Frank Miola, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you so much for listening to a long episode of the Pennsburg podcast this week. And uh, thanks for for coming to us to to keep you informed about all of the craziness going on surrounding the Pittsburgh Penguins. Uh, for Frank Miola, I have been Garrett Behanna. Thank you again so much for listening, and we will catch you guys next week.